The last two Sundays we've been involved in a uh, series uh, entitled Living Life Together. And I think we all realize that life is made up of relationships. And uh, if you have healthy, happy relationships, then it makes life a whole lot better. If relationships are tattered and torn and difficult, it makes life really difficult. And there are books you can go to to try to read on this as to how to uh, build strong relationships. But, well, I think we found a good one that's right there in the New Testament that is the shortest book in the Bible. It's the book of Philemon, and it's between the book of Hebrews and Titus. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. And it's a one-chapter Bible, a one-chapter letter uh, that's in the New Testament. And it's a letter that Paul is writing to a man by the name of Philemon. Paul is in Rome. Philemon is in a city uh, in called Colossae. And so there's a great distance between them, but they've got a situation that's brought them together. Philemon is a man who Paul led to Christ. And he's a wealthy uh, individual. Most people believe he's a landowner. And, and with that, during that culture, they had a number of slaves that, that worked with them. One of his slaves was a guy by the name of Onesimus, and he ran away. And according to Scripture, it seemed like that he stole some things in order to finance his trip to Rome. And he went all the way to Rome. And then when he got to Rome, his life intersected with Paul. Paul led him to Christ. Well, so now all of a sudden Onesimus is serving Paul there in Rome in prison. And Paul says, you know what? Before you really take that next step of your life, you've got to get things right with Philemon. You've got to go back. So he's getting ready to go back to Philemon. And before he goes back, Paul's writing a letter. And in writing the letter, it's his hope that Philemon will forgive Onesimus and will restore him and undersee him as a brother and one that can be useful in the ministry and to continue to be useful for him. And so in this letter, there are some great truths that can help every one of us today to have relationships that are strong how we can live life together. And so real quick, what I want to do is just do a quick review of, uh, of the first two uh, messages that we had. And in the midst of that review, I think that'll set the stage for where we'll be going as we look at the final verses of this, uh, of this great book in the Bible. First of all, we talked about on the first day about restore, being a refresher of hearts. And uh, there was a passage of Scripture in, in Philemon where he says in verse 7 that you refresh my heart. And so a refresher of heart, someone that, that comes by and just makes you feel better about yourself. Well, how do, you, how do you refresh hearts? Well, you do it by having to be strong in your faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what he said about Philemon. And he said that he was strong in his faith in Jesus Christ. Second of all is that he was sincere in your love for all people. But then third of all, he says, you are to superabound in your encouragement to others. And so between your faith in Christ and sincere love for others, superabound in your encouragement to others, you can be a refresher of hearts. And so he introduced the letter by sharing this with Philemon, that this is who Philemon is. And so then we came to last week, and you move right into the crux of the message when he talks about forgiveness. And the bottom line is forgiveness is that you are to seek forgiveness and extend forgiveness. And so if, um, if there are things that you've done that are wrong, then you need to admit those, repent of those, and go to the person for whom you've wronged and seek forgiveness. 
But then the one who has been wronged is then to extend forgiveness to them. It's not to be coerced or manipulated. It's got to be on my own free will. And then when that happens, then we're to put the past behind us and we are to move forward. And so these are two things that we can do to have life together, be a refresher of hearts and to have forgiveness. But today what I want to talk to you about is the very last part of the book of Philemon, and that is on building bridges to lasting relationships. Building bridges to lasting relationships. As Paul is coming to the conclusion of his letter, he helps us to understand that every one of us has this option. We will either build bridges or we'll build barriers. We'll build walkways or we'll build walls in relationships. What that means is you'll either be building bridges so that it's easy for people to cross into your life and for you to cross into their life, or you'll build up barriers or walls to where you can't go to them, they can't come to you, and there's no close relationships. And I think every one of us would desire to have some close relationships, some people that we can call friends, that we can build lasting friendships with. And so as you see, as we get ready to close out this letter, that Paul does a great job of building bridges with both Onesimus and also with Philemon. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to start in the 17th verse. And in the 17th verse, we will start looking at some essentials for building bridges for lasting relationships. Number one, the first one is sacrificial commitment. Sacrificial commitment. In verse 17, he says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Now, a key word over here is partner. And what he's saying to Philemon, he says, I want you to consider him the same way you would consider me. We are partners. And by partners, what that means is both of them are working to see the gospel advanced. Philemon is a strong believer. In fact, the church in Colossae meets in his house. So he's a strong believer, wanting to see the gospel expand. Here's Paul. He's in prison because of preaching the gospel. He says, we are partners. Okay, now what I want you to do is when you see Onesimus coming to you, I want you to see him as a partner. In essence, I want you to see Onesimus as you would see me. And so what that means is when Onesimus comes and he knocks on your door, I don't want you to just see him as Onesimus, that runaway slave. I want you to see him the same way you would see me. He's a partner in the gospel. But then the second part of that is, then I would hope that you would extend him the same forgiveness as you would extend me. He's kind of driving it home to say, let's just say, Paul, who's a close friend of yours, I did something that upset you. And so I came to your house, and I came to your house, and I asked for forgiveness. How open would you be to extend forgiveness to me? Philemon would probably say, very open, because we're partners, we're friends. He said, I want you to see Onesimus in that same light. I want you to see the same thing, that when he comes to you, he is like a partner. It's pretty strong. Now, as I'm reading these verses, and you're hearing me talk about this, I want you to put yourself in Onesimus' position. He's a runaway slave. He's stolen some money. He's got to go back to his owner. And you know, he's feeling kind of low about himself anyway. And what you're seeing Paul do is he's began to build him up. He says, Onesimus, you're like me, all right? We're partners. We're partners in this. 
So then you get to verse 18. And as you get to verse 18, you realize that from Philemon's standpoint, he is thinking, okay, let's see if I can forgive you. But you know what? You've probably cost me some money along the way. And um, so what Paul is saying is, I'm going to take care of that. Look what he says. In verse 18, he says, uh, "If uh, as you would receive me, if he has wronged you at all or he owes you anything, charge that to my account. So if there's anything that he owes you, I want you to charge it to my account. Then he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. Now, during that day, there are times when Paul would dictate a letter and a person would write it down. The fancy word is amanuensis. And sometimes I just use that in conversation because I love that word. Uh, it's an amanuensis. I, in fact, if we're ever at a meeting and someone says, who will take notes? I'll say, who will be the amanuensis? And it just puts me up higher in the crowd. I love that. No, uh, but it's an amanuensis. It's someone that writes the letter. And so most likely someone was writing the letter and then Paul said, hey, give me the stylus and I'm going to write in my own handwriting that you can charge that to my account. It's my promissory note. It is my IOU. And what he's saying to Philemon, he says, whatever the charges are, I'll handle it. From Philemon's standpoint, he's probably thinking there were a lot of lost days of work because the slave was gone. Maybe even hired some people to go track him down. I've lost that money. Plus, he stole from me because he had to finance his trip to Rome. So I'm out some money. So yeah, he may come and ask for forgiveness, but I've still got to deal with the fact that he owes me something. And Paul says, tell you what, take that off the table. Anything that he owes you, you just let me know. Charge it to my account. It's said and it is done. Now that's astounding when you put this in historical context. And it emphasizes how committed Paul is to Onesimus. And what if you're Onesimus and you're standing there and you're looking, you're listening to Paul as he dictates this letter. And then he takes the stylus and he writes in his own hand, I will pay whatever debt that he's got. You see, what Paul is offering to do is to pay a debt that he doesn't owe. And Onesimus is a person over here who has a debt that he can't pay. And so Paul is saying, I'm going to do this because I care for you. And because I care for you, I'll pay your debt. Each one of us is an Onesimus. We've got a sin debt that we can't pay. I mean, every one of us has done things wrong, and we have separated ourselves from a holy God. And it's a sin debt. And with this sin debt, there's nothing we can do in our own power to repay that debt. But see, what God did was he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who had nothing to do with our sin, nothing to do with our guilt. But yet he said, I'll pay that debt that I don't owe, but I'll do it because I love you. And just as Paul assumed the debt that he didn't owe, Jesus went to a Roman cross to pay that same debt. And then what happens is, is that whenever I come before the Father, and I'm trying to pray to him, and the father looks, and he sees me, and he sees me in my sin. Then all of a sudden, he sees his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus says, you know all those things, those things that Danny has done, all those sins, they're on my account. They're on my account. He's got access to you. And one day when I die, and any others who trusted in Christ, whenever that day happens, and we get ready to stand before the father, 
and our life is revealed to us and all the sin that we have committed. And then Jesus steps up and he says, I've paid for all of that. That's on my account. He puts us together. And you see, just as Jesus did that for us, that's what Paul's letter is doing for Onesimus. He's paving the way for him to go to Philemon. And he says, I will pay whatever that debt is. Remember, we used to sing that, that worship song. He paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. Needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace, all day long. Because Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. And so we understand what it's like to have a sin debt paid. And in this particular instance, Paul is picking up the tab and he says, I'm paying the debt for you. I'm going to cover it. I'm going to take care of all the charges, whatever it may be. And so he demonstrates sacrificial commitment. And as he's demonstrating the sacrificial commitment, he's building a bridge in his relationship with Onesimus and he's also building a bridge with Philemon. So if you want to build a bridge to have lasting friendship, there has to be a sacrificial commitment. And it may not be money, it may be time, it may be expertise, whatever, but there's some kind of sacrifice that has to take place in order for us to have this building of a lasting friendship. Second of all, now second of all is what I call playful motivation, okay? (laughs) Stick with me on this one, all right? (laughs) Playful motivation. Now, if you have no sense of humor, don't write this down, okay? Uh, If you don't like to smile, you don't like to laugh, you really don't like people to have fun with you, then just leave this one out, okay? And uh, I won't befriend you, but that's okay. Playful motivation. You say, what do you mean by playful motivation? You know, there are, there are ways to uh, encourage people without being heavy-handed. You don't have to put a guilt trip on somebody, but you can just sort of playfully say some things to them. And it's, it's like it's a low-grade guilt trip. It's just you throw in humor in there just to say some things to them. You're not being heavy-handed. You're just sort of messing with them. And usually best of friends, you can do that with each other. You can, you can kind of mess with each other and just say some of these things. And see, that's what I think that Paul is doing. Now, sometimes reading letters is like reading emails and you don't get voice inflection so you don't know what people are meaning or saying. The Greek language is real descriptive and so a lot of times it's easy to know that, but there's some times where you just don't know. And so the way I read it, I'm reading it as more of, as Paul has got, I'm thinking, probably got a little bit of a sense of humor. I think he's displayed that in other places in Scripture. And he uses puns, P-U-N, puns. Now, the Jewish people that day were really big into using puns. And he's like the pun meister, okay? And if you all know Herbie Gear, Herbie Gear is just full of puns, Okay? I mean, it's all the time you see him. It's because he's been in Israel for 28 years. And so he's, he's learned all this. And he's the Gordo man that can come back here and use all these amazing puns. He got it from Paul. Because look what, look what Paul does. Verse 19. After he says that I'll write this with my own hand, I'll repay it. And then he says over here, to say nothing of your own, of your owing me, even your own self. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Let me tell you what the New Living Translation says. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. 
you know, hey, I'm going to pick up the tab for Anesimus, and I hope that you forgive him. And I'm not going to mention the fact that you owe me your soul. Because you see, I'm the one that introduced you to Jesus Christ and led you to faith in Christ. So you owe me your soul. Now see, that's the way I read it. So I would read it like that. Not like Paul saying, and I don't want to mention, but you owe me your very soul. See, that doesn't carry anything. What it carries is with someone that you, you know well, and you can sort of mess with them a little bit. And he says, hey, I'm willing to do this. Hey, not to mention, but I will, that you owe me your very soul. And then look what he says in verse 20. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, here comes the pun. You've got to be ready for this. And he says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart. Okay, we got to refresh my heart in Christ, right? Look at this word benefit. I want some benefit from you. This word benefit is the only time that Paul's ever used it in all the writings of the New Testament. And he wrote half of the New Testament. And only one time did he ever use this word. Now, I want you to get a little play on words over here, all right? So show me up on, on the screen. Show me David put up here about Onesimus. Onesimus' name means useful, profitable, okay? Onesimus. You see the way that's spelled, Onesimus? Now, let me show you what the Greek word is for benefit. The Greek word for benefit is onanemi. And it's just where Onesimus gets your name from. And it means benefit. So the only time in all the New Testament, Paul used this same word, this word here, that connected with Onesimus' name. So in essence, he's saying something, hey, brother, you know, I kind of want a little Onesimus from you. You know, I want a little benefit from you, using the name of Onesimus. And then he says, he says, from you in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. In verse 12, he says, I'm sending back to you Onesimus, who is my very heart. And so now in one verse, he's done the little benefit word, he's done the little heart word, and he's just throwing down on him saying, hey, give me a little refreshment. And when you refresh my heart, you're going to be refreshing Onesimus over here. I'm talking about just give me a little bit of love over here. If you do what we're asking to forgive Onesimus, you will refresh his spirits and you will refresh my spirits. Man, I'm just asking if you would do that. And so he's kind of throwing his little puns in there. It's what we call like a playful motivation on there. And he says, you're really good at refreshing hearts. I want you to refresh mine, and I want you to refresh Onesimus's at the same time. But then look how he closes it out in verse 21. What he does is he affirms Philemon. He says, I'm confident of your obedience, and I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. He says, I've got assurance that you're going to do even more than what I've asked. Philemon is a good man in the Lord. He's got a good character. And so Paul is confident because of who he is that he'll do what he's supposed to do. Now what Paul is doing, he's not coming at it in a heavy-handed apostolic way, forcing him to do this. No, what's he doing? It's just a little playful motivation and then an affirmation. He says, listen, you're a good man. And you're going to do what you need to do and you'll do what is right. And I've got all the confidence in the world that you will do that. Building lasting friendships is a sacrificial commitment that goes, goes in there that we need to, need to do. But on top of that, there's also a little bit of a playful motivation 
to where we're not heavy-handed, we're just encouraging. And this is what Paul's done with Philemon. But let me tell you what number three is, and that is continuous support. Continuous support. Not just support, but continuous support. Now, verse 22 is a verse that can be misread. It, again, it depends how you approach this letter. And look what it says in verse 22. In verse 22, he says, At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Now, what Paul is saying is that, you know, I'm hoping to get out of prison pretty soon, and when I do, I want to come to your house, and I want to stay at your house. Now, you see, some people will read that and say, oh, he's really throwing the hammer down. This is what Paul is saying. I want you to forgive Onesimus. Hey, by the way, when I get out of here, I'm coming to your house. And when I come to your house, I'm going to see whether you did what I told you to do or not. Well, you see, the only thing wrong with that is it goes against the whole tenor of the letter. Because this whole letter is written in love, wanting Philemon to make a choice that's not manipulated or coerced. And so he's not going to, all of a sudden at the end of the letter, throw down some heavy-handed comment. No. What he's saying is, I'm going to come, and I want to check up on you, and I want to be with you. You see, see what, we, what we forget in this digital, I can get information just like that world, is that in their world, Rome was here, Colossae was here, and they were 1,200 miles apart. 1,200 miles apart. Now, in order to travel, once he gives that letter, and Onesimus and others are traveling to Colossae, it's going to take weeks to travel 1,200 miles. And then once ever he gets to Colossae, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think when he gets there and he sees Philemon, Philemon's going to take out his iPhone 6 and do a selfie with himself along with Onesimus, and he sends a tweet out and he says, my BFF, hashtag forgiven? And then all of a sudden Paul says, it worked, this is great, I love this, this is so good. No, then all of a sudden you've got to see what's going to happen and someone's got to be a messenger to, to travel weeks and weeks and weeks to get over there to Paul before he can even get a letter that says, hey, this is what I did. But then all of us know that whenever we've made a major decision that has major implications, once a decision's made, that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning of it. Now you've got to live with that decision. And see, I translate this verse as Paul saying, I love you so much, Philemon. I'm giving you counsel as to how, what decision I think you should make. But I trust you in making the decision. And whatever decision you make, I know there are going to be ramifications. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to hang out with you. And I want to talk to you and see, can I help you as you go through that? Because there will be ramifications. When they get there, how does Onesimus handle this new relationship? If you bring him in and accept him as a brother, are you going to free him as a slave or keep him as a slave? What do the members of the church think about that? I mean, they knew Onesimus as a runaway slave. Now he's coming back and we're trying to treat him as a brother. Are all the members happy? Are they not happy? Are some people upset? How's that working for you? And how about you, Philemon? You may have said you forgive him in your heart, but is there still some bitterness there? You still got some hurt feelings over how he treated you? Are you still struggling with how, how, how to work with that? How's this new relationship? How are the other slaves doing it? Are they welcoming him back or do they think he's getting special privileges? You can just go on and on. You know, just making the decision is one thing. All the ramifications is something else. Let me tell you what a true friend is, a lasting, strong relationship. 
is the one that doesn't just give you and pontificate and give you the, uh, the ideas for how you are to make a decision, but they're the ones that follow and walk with you through that decision, putting their arms around you and saying, I'm going to walk with you through this. We're going to keep checking with each other. And so I believe that's why Paul said, hey, I'm going to come back. And when I get out of prison, I'm going to make a point to come to Colossae. I want you to set me up in a room. I want to be there with you. It's not because I'm going to hammer you about your decision. I just want to sit down and say, okay, what decision did you make? How's it going? All right, let's talk about it. How can I be a help to you? That's continuous support. But not only do you get continuous support, but the next one is what I call interdependent accountability. And there are some of you that have said, I've never heard that term before. That's because I just made it up. Okay? But I think it's such a good term that you'll use it this week somewhere in your life. Okay? Interdependent accountability. Now hold on to this phrase and sometime you'll use it. When you do, email me and say, hey Danny, I used it. All right? You may have used it incorrectly, but you used it. That's okay. You say, what do you mean by interdependent accountability? Well, look at the end end of, uh, of this letter. He's giving these final greetings and he's telling Philemon about the men that are right there with him. Okay? Look at it. Verse 1. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. In the Greek text, the word you. Sometimes you can be plural like y'all or it can be singular. This is singular. So Epaphras, fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. He knows you. Philemon. He knows you. He's part of the church in Colossae. He says, he knows you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. I just want to let you know I'm surrounded by these men over here, and they send their greetings to you. These men can vouch for Onesimus, and they concur with my request on Onesimus' behalf. I believe all of these men are acquaintances of Philemon. Otherwise, he wouldn't have mentioned their names. If he doesn't know who Luke is, what, what good does that do to him? He knows all these men. And because he knows them, there's that accountability that he has with these men. And we know there's something about a value of accountability. And it's talk, that's where support groups start up. Whether it be a weight reduction or Alcoholics Anonymous, you, when you've got that group, you know that you're accountable to them and it spurs you on to good deeds. Uh, Jim Foyt, who's chairman of our deacons, had a great statement. He was just talking about some things and he says, you know, he says one of the values of accountability is it, it does kind of push you to do things right. And um, he said, like, uh, when I'm getting ready to go get a physical, it just seems like a couple days before I'm getting a physical, I eat less. Do you know why that's true? Because when you walk in, first thing I do is have you step on the scales. Whoop, accountability. And, and so and I just laugh because I said I do the same thing. It's like, oh, I got a couple days, cut back, and, uh, and, and see how you do. That's what accountability is. But I've used a term I call interdependent accountability. Accountability is not just asking a couple questions to people every so often, but it is this interdependence to where we are dependent on each other. It's an iron sharpening iron, shoulder to shoulder, to where it's not just questions, it is you're in my life, I'm in your life. In fact, I need you and you need me. There's an interdependence there. And man, if anybody needed this, it would be Paul. I mean, he's out there preaching a message that's not very popular. He's getting thrown in, mail, in jail for it. He's getting beaten. And he's got these men that are standing with him. 
And they're part of his accountability. And Philemon, all these guys know Philemon. And so when Philemon gets this letter from Paul, he's got a lot of respect for Paul, but guess what? He's got a lot of respect for these other five. And these guys, when they're saying, thumbs up, we concur, then you see this cementing of this relationship, this building of these um, uh, of this accountability. He doesn't want to disappoint Paul, and he doesn't want to disappoint these men over here either. Because he knows he's going to have to answer for his actions. It's not just Paul that's going to check on him, but he's got these other five. And so he wants to do what is right. Not what they say, but what is right in the Lord. And he knows that when he makes that decision, what is right in the Lord, he needs to be able to stand behind it. And then when these men come alongside of him, he can explain why he did what he did. There's an accountability there. It's an interdependent accountability. Hey, just, just a second, man. Just take a look at these guys. Uh, first, Epaphras. Epaphras. When you think about the Epaphras, he is a prayer warrior. This guy's a prayer warrior. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Epaphras was the founder of the church in Colossae. And it says, Epaphras, who's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. I mean, he's getting after it. And that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the, in the will of God. You, Epaphras, you got a prayer warrior right there who's standing here. That's a man in accountability. Then you look at Mark. When you think of Mark, you think of one who understands forgiveness. Mark was a young guy on the very first trip. You're going to be Paul and Barnabas. They were going to take their first trip on their missionary journey. Mark started out with them. They got part way, And then all of a sudden, he changed his mind and he left him. Do you think Paul got his feelings hurt? Yeah, because when the journey was over and they came back and it was suggested they do a second journey, Barnabas says, let's take Mark. And he says, no way. I'm not taking that guy again. I'd say he got a little bit peeved at Mark. And he says, he's not going with me. Now all of a sudden, maybe 10, 12 years later, guess what? Mark is right there. Now when Philemon hears the name Mark and he knows Mark and he knows his story, he understands forgiveness. And he understands that this was a young man who could have been written off and never be useful for the gospel. However, there had to come a time where he went to Paul and he says, you know what, I messed up and I ask you to forgive me. And there had to come a time when Paul had to man up and say, I forgive you. And not only just, wasn't just words, but it was more than words because now he's brought him in as a co-worker. And he's effective for the kingdom. And so when I'm Philemon, I'm seeing that name Mark and I'm thinking about this guy understands forgiveness. Next of all is uh, Aristarchus. Aristarchus, this is a stand in the gap guy. Oh my gosh. When, uh, when Paul is in Ephesus, there's this riot that happens. And they said that in this riot that was against Paul, they grabbed two of the traveling companions and Aristarchus was one of them. He got roughed up in the crowd. He got thrown in, in prison for a while. But you know what? It didn't deter him. He's the same guy that got on the boat to go to Rome with Paul when the shipwreck uh, happened and he was standing there with him. He's the same guy that's with him right now in Rome in his imprisonment. He's the stand in the gap guy. He's the guy, I don't care how bad it is. I don't care how tough it is. I don't care who beats me up. I'm committed to you, Paul. I'm committed to the gospel. I'm standing with you. There's an interdependent accountability that we've got. And so when you're listening to these names over here, when you see an Aristarchus, you've got the stand in the gap guy. And then all of a sudden he mentions a guy by the name of Demas. And he says, Demas, he's a co-worker. We're going to come back to him later. But he's a co-worker. He's a guy who's been working with me. We've been struggling together, working together. You know Demas. And last of all is Luke. And I got this from a commentary, a doctor who went beyond house calls. (laughs) 
because Luke travels with him. He traveled with him on his second missionary journey and took care of him. And Paul got beat up every city he went. So as a doctor, he was mighty busy. And now when Paul's in his imprisonment, Luke could have been anywhere, but he's there in Rome and he's taking care of him and he's ministering to his physical needs. That was his call. That's that accountability. That's interdependent accountability. And when they read those five names, and Philemon sees those names, these are men he respects. And they say, we're agreeing with Paul. We agree with about Onesimus. Pray you do the right thing. Wow. Let me tell you the last point. That's steadfast loyalty. Steadfast loyalty. About three to four years after this, excuse me, Paul gets out of prison, does some more work, then gets imprisoned again in Rome. And it's his last time to be in prison. He knows that death is coming close, and he writes a letter to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And 2 Timothy is the, um, is the last letter that he writes. And look what he says in that. Uh, can go to verse 11. you got verse 11 uh, on there? Oh, yeah, let's go, let's go to 10. I'm sorry. 10. You're right. You're ahead of me. You're good. 2 Timothy 4.10. This is what he says. He says, listen, I, I'm, I, I need some people to come. I I'm, I'm feel like I'm almost here by myself. Uh, time is growing short. And he says, this is why I'm by myself. He says, for Demas, remember Demas? He was a co-worker. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. It's interesting, you read some commentators, and they say, well, Demas is from Thessalonica, and so he just kind of wanted to go home. It's kind of like, no harm, no foul. I said, well, the thing I have a problem with is the word deserted. That doesn't sound like no harm, no foul. That word means to forsake. That word means to be left in dire circumstances. That's not good. One of those inner five, one of those accountability guys, I left him. In his hour of greatest need, Demas bailed out on him. And as he's coming to the close of his life, dealing with loneliness and separation from everyone, Demas says, I'm not sticking around. I'm out of here. I'm gone. Boy, that's tough. But see, if we live long enough, we know this will happen. It can happen in friendships. It can happen in your company. It can happen in your athletic team. To where they're Demases. And they're Demases that come into your life, and then all of a sudden they do things and they step out of your life. And the Demases are the ones that you think they've got your back, but in reality, they're stabbing you in the back. The ones that put seeds of distrust and discord and dishonoring that happens, and then you just look around and you say, where did this happen? And it's painful, and it hurts. Has the Demas left him? But then you get to verse 11, and verse 11 says, Luke alone is with me. And he says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. As part of those guys that were there. And he says, Luke is still with me. 
And he says, hey, listen, Timothy, I want you to come and I want you to bring Mark because he's useful to me. You see, that's that interdependent accountability. In this case, it's that steadfast loyalty to where these men say, we're with you to the end. We're there. That's what it means to be building these bridges to lasting friendships. In the last verse, it's great. Verse 25 is just his closing, and he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Lord Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. The grace of God colors everything that we do. And as he closes out, as the last thing Philemon will read is when he sees that, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace covers it all. Because of God's grace, we can be a restorer of hearts because we maintain that strong faith in Christ. And we can have a sincere love for others and we just super bound in our encouragement. It is because of the grace of God that I can extend forgiveness to others. And it's because of the grace of God that I realize that I can come and repent of things I've done wrong and seek forgiveness. And it's because of the grace of God that I can build these kind of lasting relationships and build the bridges necessary so there's not walls and barriers, but they're bridges, they're walkways so that people can walk into my life and I can walk into their life and then we can do life together and have that strength. And so that's my hope and prayer is that you see this on the two levels. You see it on the levels of natural friendships, but then you also see it on the level of the fact that Christ has paid that penalty for each one of us. He's paid our sin debt so that we can come into that relationship with God, a strong, lasting relationship that will last for eternity. And so it's this moment, and when we get ready to close this time, I want you to be thinking about two different things with your mind on, on parallel tracks. I want you to think about your relationship with God. Have I ever made that decision to receive Christ as my Savior? The only one that can pay my sin debt. And then second of all, I want you to think about relationships. Are there some relationships that are off the tracks that need to get back on the tracks? Are there some of those relationships that you need to strengthen? And whoever God brings to your mind, I want you to make a note of that. And then this week, I want you to take action on that and do whatever it takes to get that back on track. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your son Jesus paid the debt that we could not pay. And we thank you for the love that you have, that you would even send your son to do that for us. And Father, it is our prayer that anyone here who does not know you as Savior, that today would be the day that they would make that decision. Today would be the day when they know that they can just openly call out to you and say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come into my life. And I want you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And I want to be a child of yours. I want to be a child of, of God. And then, Father, I want to pray for others here in this congregation who know they've got some difficulties in some relationships and some things that need to be straightened out because living life together is really not working out. But maybe the, through this word and through your Holy Spirit that you can give them the necessary impetus and direction to straighten those relationships out and to enjoy 
living life together. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.